0: reading is Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 to 29 this is Jesus talking enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it watch out for false prophets Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law.
1: Thanks very much, Karen. A week ago today, it was four years to the day since Haiti was hit by a massive earthquake, don't you really remember, um, we gave money to that, uh, that fund to help those affected by it, caused the death of nearly a quarter of a million people, destroyed 60% of the country's hospitals, 80% of the schools, Made hundreds of thousands um, lose their homes. But six weeks later, Chile was struck by an earthquake that measured 8.8 on the Richter scale, 500 times more powerful than that one that hit Haiti. And yet, the number of deaths was less than 1% of that in Haiti. Why was that, you, you may ask? Well, because of the way the buildings were constructed. In Haiti, there were no building codes. Um, builders often cut corners in the construction to reduce costs, Hopefully, not like our builders. Um, they built on hills and slopes without foundation. The title of our sermon this morning is Two Foundations. It's about a very familiar parable to, I'm sure, many of us, particularly those who might have uh, uh, gone to, to Sunday school when they were younger and still remember the actions of the song, still remember doing all this. And trying to make the loudest sound when the house went flat like that. Yes, we all remember, don't we? And like Jeff said last week, this parable in many ways is a, is a simple message and doesn't require an awful lot of understanding. Hear the words of Jesus and do them. But the key to a fuller understanding of these parables, as with much of the Bible, is looking at the context around it. What is going on around this parable? What prompted Jesus... To tell the parable. And that's why I can read out that, that passage beforehand. Gives this is maybe another example. Let's turn back to the passage we looked at last week in Matthew twenty-one, verse twenty-eight, just to see the importance of context. Do you remember last week it was about the two sons? And what was what was the context here? What was going on beforehand? Well, in the previous section, starting in twenty three, the authority of Jesus was being questioned by the chief priests and the elders. And it's that that prompts Jesus to tell you this, this parable. And after he said the parable about the two sons, he then finishes in verse 31 saying, Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to, te- to you to show you the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you didn't repent and believe him. So the context there tells us the passage is about accepting the authority of Jesus. The tax collectors and prostitutes didn't accept it. They led their lives their way. But when they saw the error of their ways, they repented, they turned to Christ, and they accepted his authority. The chief priests, on the other hand, claimed to accept the authority of God, But when it came to, when the Son of God came and stood in their midst, they refused to accept who he was. They refused to accept that he was God himself. It was those who repented who entered the kingdom. So you see there how important the context is. Well, let's go back to to Matthew 7 and see what's going on in this passage. When it comes at the end of the the so-called Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is teaching his disciples about kingdom living, which you remember is what the S-Club did just before Christmas. What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? If you flick back a couple of pages to the start of the sermon in chapter 5, we see there, just briefly going through it, Jesus outlining the character required for someone in the kingdom, somebody who is poor in spirit, who is humble, who acknowledges their spiritual poverty. Uh, It goes on to describe their calling to be salt and light to the world. Somebody who doesn't simply keep to the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Somebody flicking over who's devoted to to prayer has compassion for others, who who seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and doesn't worry about worldly things, knowing that his Father in heaven looks after him. It's an attractive vision, isn't it? It's a great sermon. And many, even non-Christians, have accepted it as great moral teaching. But as we come to the final section of the sermon, starting in verse 13 that uh, Karen read from, we soon become aware that this is not just about good moral teaching. This is about whether or not you are in the kingdom because you're either in it or you're not in it. There's no halfway house the way Jesus tells us. Look at verse 13 there. He says, um, "'Enter through the narrow gate.'" For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And notice here it doesn't say well, there are lots of paths and it doesn't really matter which one you take because they all lead to the same destination in the end. No, he says there's just two paths. There's a broad one and there's a narrow one. The broad one is an easy one to be on. You just get carried along. It's a bit like if you've ever been to a football match or a big event and you come out of the stadium, the whole crowd are heading towards the, uh, the station and you're just going with the flow. You can't actually do anything else. You just go with it. This road is wide because there's, there's room for many different lifestyles and uh, beliefs and religions. You can do really what you want. Just look after yourself. But Jesus says that road leads to destruction. If we want eternal life, if we want life in in abundance, then we have to enter through the narrow gate. And that requires a conscious decision. We have to find the gate. We have to find the road. We have to follow it. It's narrow because if you choose this path, what you believe, how you behave, have been revealed to you. And that way of life may seem narrow at first, but as you go down that path, you realise that it leads to life in all its fullness and abundance. Well, as we get to the end of the, uh, the sermon, on the mount, that is, not my sermon. A little way to go yet. Jesus gives us two stark warnings here in verse 21. And this is about whether or not people will be in the kingdom. And the first one comes before the parable, starting in verse 21, and it tells us that if you trust in what you've said, in what you've done, you are on a weak foundation. Look at verse 21. If not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, you can call me Lord with your lips. You can call yourself a Christian. That doesn't necessarily mean you've submitted your life to me. It's possible to say one thing and to do another. Your comedy TV program, don't you whether you remember it? Yes, Minister or yes, Prime Minister, as it then became, was a classic example of that. It was built on that whole prime premise, wasn't it? when the um, permanent secretary, I think he was, uh, Sir Humphrey Appleby, said to his boss, "Yes, minister, yes, Prime Minister." What he really meant was, was "No prime Minister. I'm just going to go and do it my way anyway, because the civil service always knows best. It's possible to say one thing, but then believe and do another. But the people Jesus is referring to here are people who didn't just call Him Lord, They actually went and did stuff in His name. It says, "This is serious spiritual stuff, you know, prophesying, exorcism, healing." But that wasn't good enough for Jesus. Look what he says in verse 22. "Many will say to me on that day, "Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your, in your name drive out demons before many miracles? But I will tell them plainly, I never knew you." Away from me, you evil doers. Now that sounds harsh. Why wasn't it good enough? And the reason is because Jesus could see into their hearts. It's no good having a veneer of spirituality because Jesus can see that deep down, what is it that is motivating us? Are we just doing something for ourselves? Uh, maybe we're just getting caught up in the, the, uh, the excitement of it all. Either way, Jesus could see with these people it wasn't genuine. They weren't doing it for Jesus' glory. As this applied to us, well, what are we relying on for our salvation? Is it the fact that we come to church every week? That we put our money in the offering? We, we serve on rate, races? We we play in the group? We're an elder or a deacon? All good things, but none of them in themselves sufficient to ensure that we enter the kingdom of God. We'll come on to what is sufficient shortly, but first we have another warning here from Jesus as we come on to the the parable itself. And that is, if you trust in what you know, you also are on a weak foundation. We have two men here. One is described as wise and the other foolish. But what do they both have in common? Well, first of all, they both built houses, didn't they? They could have been identical houses, for all we know. Um, might not have made it onto to grand designs, but, um, you know, good, solid, um, three-bed, detached house. They both experienced extreme conditions. It says here, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Exactly the same conditions. The difference between them is that one built his house on the rock and the one on sand. One house therefore remained standing after the storm and the other fell with a great crash. Now when Jesus explains who these two different people represent, what they have in common is that they've both heard the words of Jesus. But they both don't enter the kingdom of God. Now what that clearly means is that hearing the words of Jesus and knowing them again in itself is not sufficient because knowing what a Christian is like knowing how to become a Christian is not the same as actually becoming a Christian John Motson has been a football commentator since the um, time when Ipswich Town were one of the best teams in the country which you may say shows just how long that is I know, yeah His mind is a wealth of uh, facts and figures about football and footballers. It's the sort of guy you would uh, want on your team if you were having a Christians of Sport quiz night. But he's never actually been a footballer. He knows all there is about football, but he's never actually been a, a footballer. And we can grow up knowing Christians, we can grow up knowing the Bible, understanding what Christianity is about, without ever taking the step of becoming. A Christian, we can accept that Jesus is the Son of God, but even the devil accepts that. But he didn't submit his life to Jesus, and that's the same with us. If we know Jesus is the Son of God but don't submit our lives to him, then that is not, not enough. It's possible to come to church, it's possible to come and hear the words of Jesus for years without being changed by them. So, on the inside, we're no different from those who haven't come to church and heard those words. It's not enough simply to hear or to know the words of Jesus. So what do we need then for a firm foundation? Well, if you trust in Jesus, if you seek to obey him, then you are on a firm foundation. Have a look at how Jesus describes the wise man. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Literally, it's everyone who hears my words and does them. Everyone who hears my words and does them. Now, you might be thinking at this point, well, hang on, I thought you said it wasn't about what we do. Now you're saying, almost contradicting yourself. Well, what I think he's getting at here, I think the clue is back in verse 21. Because look what it said there. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Doing the words of Jesus and doing the will of the Father are pretty much the same thing. So what does it mean then to do the will of the Father? How do we do the will of the Father? Well, it's an expression that's used um, many places throughout the New Testament. I'm going to have a quick skip around uh, uh, the Bible now. So if you've got uh, your tablet or your your paper Bible, here's the chance to see which is quicker, the tablet or the the paper. We'll start with an easy one, just going back a page in chapter 6, Verse 10, Jesus teaching about prayer. This is what he instructs his disciples to do. We, we prayed the Lord's Prayer as we sang it earlier on. What does he say? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done. May people do your will, Father. Let's move on a couple of pages. Chapter 12, verse 50. Again, this is Jesus Talking to a crowd, and he says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Let's go back to the parable we looked at last week in chapter 21, verse 31. And the question Jesus put to them which of the two did what his Father wanted? Literally, did the will of the Father. So what is this will of the Father that keeps uh, cropping up here? Let's have a look at cha- John chapter 6, verse uh, 38. John six thirty-eight. This is what Jesus says. He says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he's given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus came to do the will of the Father which was to to make it possible for us to have eternal life. To make it possible for us to be raised up at the last day the Day of Judgment. For us to do the will of the Father, we have to look to the Son, we have to believe in Him, believe that His death on the cross is what makes us right with God the Father. Because He took the punishment we deserved on the cross. He enabled us to be forgiven, to enjoy eternal life. And that is what we celebrate when we come around the Lord's table, as we will do shortly. The death of Christ on our behalf. If we look to anything else then it won't be enough. And that is why Jesus said I'm not interested in your prophecies, your miracles. I'm not interested if you've read through the Bible every day for the last 20 years. If you've not put your trust in me that doesn't count for anything. The big question for all of us is when we stand before Jesus on the day of judgment, will we stand or will we fall? And the answer depends on whether we look to Jesus or whether we look to ourselves. And any answer to the question, why should I let you into my kingdom? Any answer that begins with the words, well, because I is not going to hold much ground. The answer is it's because you died for me. And that is, sounds like a very simple thing, doesn't it? But it's a very hard thing to do, isn't it? If we go back to the two men and their, their houses, why would you choose to build your house on sand if you could build it on rock? Maybe because it's que- quicker. Maybe because it's cheaper. Maybe because it's closer to the beach. The other one on the, the rock was up the hill and you want to get down to the beach early in the morning, get your, your, your towel out. Either way, the foolish man probably didn't think that the foundation really mattered. He probably didn't think that there would be a massive storm that would come along and wipe out his house. I don't think people who choose not to trust in Jesus do so because they think that trusting themselves is going to give them a better chance on the Day of Judgment. It's more because they don't actually believe there will be a judgment. It's Noah's Ark all over again, isn't it? How do people respond to Noah when they saw him building an ark, when there was no sign of rain? They probably mocked him. They just carried on eating and drinking. And in that sense, nothing's changed, is it? Now, I'm not sure the storms here are necessarily just about judgment. They could also be the storms of life. could be health issues, could be bereavement, could be financial problems. And what those storms do when they come along is test the genuineness of, of our faith. Do we still trust in God when He takes away everything that is dear to us? Those words in the Bible about God being our rock, our, our refuge, our, our fortress, our deliverer. We've heard them so many times, but. Have we believed in them? Have we really trusted in them? You know, when Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Do we just think, well, that's, that's, that's Job. That's, that's not really for, for me. I don't have to believe in that as well, surely. Or as the American football coach said to his team in a clip we saw a couple of weeks ago in that um, film, if we give all our effort to the Lord, we do it for his sake and we go out on that pitch. If we win... We praise the Lord. If we lose, we still praise the Lord. The storms of life test our faith in the sense of testing whether we can still trust in God in all situations. They also test us in the sense, can we still live the Christian life? Can we still show the Christian character that that God wants us to, to show? As we've looked at briefly in, the, in this Sermon on the Mount, it's an amazing moral lifestyle that Jesus describes and our ability to live that life is not a test as to whether we we get into the kingdom but it does indicate the genuineness of our conversion. Are we seeking to live by the spirit day by day? Are we seeking to become more like Christ? More like the character that is described in this sermon on the mount? Because part of the test of our our genuineness is our fruit. Have a look at back at verse 15 in chapter 7. There's that warning about false prophets. How will we recognise them? And the answer is by their fruit. You'll recognise them. Look at their character. Are they still able to rejoice and be glad when people persecute them? Are they forgiving? Are they focused on, on heaven? Or just on on earth? Well, as we do come to an end of this sermon now, um, let me leave you with a question. What foundation are you building your life on? How strong will it be when the the storms of life come? When you stand before Jesus on the, the day of judgment, are you going to trust in what you have said or done, things that you think have been good, Are you going to trust in what you know about Jesus? Or are you going to trust in what Jesus has done for you? And are you going to seek to obey him with all your life? For my Father's will, he says, is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Well, if you do trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Saviour, do please join us now as we come to the Lord's Supper and remember Jesus' sacrifice for us. If you're not yet at that point, it's really good to have you with us and do please stay for this. Um, But do just let the plate and the cup pass at the the appropriate moment. But before we do come to the table, we're going to sing again. It's um, a hymn, a well-known hymn, in which we... Sing of the rock of ages that was cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. And later on, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling.